see you all here for worship. We are continuing on in this message series on relationships, and so if, if this is your first time, you really come at a good time because this is a really tricky topic. It's very, very difficult to navigate through our relationships, and it's one of the most important things to really discuss because we deal with relationships all the time. Um, we're in relationship probably from you know the moment we, we wake up until, you know, we go to bed. There's just constantly people in and out of our lives. Some people are strangers that we interact with or acquaintances, and others we really have contact with all the time. And so it really helps us if we understand how do we navigate through this very difficult area. And, and more than that, how do we understand what God has to say about what is his view on relationships? Because that is really um, what we need to lock on to. Because we all have our own way of thinking. You have your way of thinking, I have my way of thinking. And some of my thoughts have been the ingredients that led to some of the biggest disasters in my life. Some of my ideas and my solutions. You know, I start working my plan, and then it, it amounts to uh, a real problem. <laughs> Things blow up. Relationships begin to become tense. And the reason why is because we find out in Scripture that some of our ways, or actually our ways, are oftentimes very much the opposite of God's ways. In fact, the Scripture says this about my ways and God's ways and how they're on a different level. Take a look at this verse. It's not in your listening guide, but it's up here on the screen. It says, for my thoughts, they're not your thoughts. This is God speaking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth. So he gives this picture of of, there's a difference here. The, The heavens are high, the earth is below. So are my ways so much higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Really, we don't tend to to think this is true because we tend to, at least I do, I I tend to think I've got the right thinking on this and I've got it figured out. But then I realize as I begin to work my plan, that my plan, it it falls apart. My relationships suffer. Things really become a problem. And but we struggle with this. Most of us assume that the answers to all questions reside within us. Or if, if it doesn't reside within us, it resides within some really smart person. And so we turn on the TV and we watch, you know, like Dr. Phil, he solves some of these marriage. And we think, man, now I've got it. I figured it out. He figured it out. I can implement that in my life. Or we hear Dr. Someone else on the radio. Or, or we talk to some, some, some counselor and they, and they say, here's what you need to do. And we, and we get, you know, all right, I'm going to work that plan here. Or, or you know, we, we tend to, we might just talk to a really smart friend and, and we implement their plan. Or we hear the ladies on, on TV, what's the show that the four ladies talk on? I forget what it's called, but that's it. The View. You know, they're talking, talking it through and we think, aha, that's, that's the ticket. And we start, we start focusing on human wisdom or we read a book. We find a book that promises that it's got the interest to relationships. But the problem is, according to this verse, the very best of human wisdom is so far deficient to God's. The very best, the very smartest people on earth, their ways and their thoughts are so far below God's thoughts and His ways. We wrestle with this. Human wisdom just falls really short when it comes to how life really works and how how much wisdom God has. So what we're trying to do in this series is really look at the principles that you find in Scripture that have stood the test of time and that apply universally to life. And if we'll line up our lives with what He says and we, we tie into His ways and His thoughts, 
um, that really blesses. It benefits our relationships as we do that in our life. So I like to pray and, and just ask the Lord for his help. So let's pray together. Father, again, we just pause and say thank you for drawing us here. Thank you for your work in our lives and, and leading us up to this point, God. Lord, for many of us, we're in, in relationships that are rocky right now. And many people here, Lord, they're here because of relationships that have fallen apart, or they're here because they need answers, they're struggling. God, there's tension, and it's not going away. And so, Lord, I just pray right now you would minister and speak to us through your word. Your holy word has answers. And, God, I pray that we would recognize that your ways and your thoughts are far higher than ours. So we surrender right now to your ways and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a listening guide, and if you like, I'd encourage you to pull this out. I want to, I really want to begin with asking, you know, or looking at the tension of why is it that we keep trying to fix each other in relationships? The verses we're going to look at today really deal with answering that question. Why, Why do we keep thinking we can fix everyone? We think, you know, if I can just fix them, if I can just prod them along, or if I can... If I can nag them enough, maybe they'll do what, they, what I want them to do. If I, you know, manipulate my plan, you know, if I, if I poke long enough, if I, if I keep bringing up what I think they need to change in, maybe they'll finally change. And so what do we do? We, we, we work our plan. We start, hey, there's a balloon falling from the sky with a skull. Not sure if we could, might need to pray at this moment. <laughs> Again, <laughs> you should pop it. <laughs> but we start trying to work our plans into other people's lives. And so what do we do with our relationships? We start trying to um, enroll people in things. Hey, I signed you up for this class. Oh, you did? Or we buy them a book. Hey, I bought this book for you. I saw this book. I thought it would be great. Really what we're trying to do is we're trying to get them to do what we want them to do and so we start you know sending people to seminars paying their way to things and because maybe they'll change you know, it might be your spouse might be a friend you drop in little hints about the things you really think they need to work on um, it might be that your personality maybe you're really tightly wound i'm kind of a tightly wound person myself and maybe you're in a relationship with someone a close relationship with someone who just rolls with it you know and you're just tightly wound. You're stressed out all the time. Your glass is always half empty. You don't understand how other people can be half full. And so maybe you're in a relationship with someone who you walk in, you're stressed out, it's been a long day, you walk in, they're sitting in like an easy chair, playing the guitar, listening to a little music, sipping iced tea that's half full. And you're just like, here they are again. And they're playing a little chorus and singing a little song. And, and you're just like, it's my job to help this person take life more seriously. They just don't get it. And so we start trying to, again, work our plan. Or maybe you're in a relationship with someone who you don't think is growing spiritually quite the right way. What's the right way? It's my way, right? You know, the right way was whatever way we think is the right way. And so we see their growth and we hear how they're spiritual and they talk about their spiritual growth and we see and we're like, that's just not enough. That's not working. That's not spiritual growth or that's not how it should look. And so what we do is we begin to set them out on our growth track. And again, we start trying to work our plan. I was guilty of this early on in my marriage, um, just trying to fix and control 
um, the personality of my wife. And I, I asked her permission if I could share this story. Um, early on, my, you probably don't know this. You may or may not know my wife anyways, but one of the things that really attracted me to her was just she was really bubbly, really uh, just fun-loving, bubbly, laughing, really loud, and just... And I, I really thought that was great because I'm not any of that. You know, I'm not bubbly. I'm not really that fun-loving. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of like a dud a lot of times. I'm like the, you know, I'll see all the holes in the in the issue and see all the problems. And, and she's just like, you know, really, really fun-loving. And our first, I would say, year, probably our first year of marriage, maybe even first few years of marriage, we'd be out with someone and I'd be trying to impress them. Like we got it all together in our lives and our marriage and, and she's, you know, my, my spouse. And so we'd be out relating to some couple, let's say. And she would just be herself. She's laughing, having a great time. And I would get like... <clears throat> I kind of give her an eye like... I was trying to say quiet down, you know. Keep it down. We're, we're you know, stressing me out. And really what I was doing was I was trying to control her personality. <laughs> and I... I and so one time, and I would, one time I would, I would bring it up. I started hurting her feelings. One time, she was just relating, just being herself. She was laughing, and um, just, and I stepped on her foot underneath the table. And she called me out on it. She said, "Why are you stepping on my foot?" And she knew exactly what I was doing because we had talked about this. And and really, what I was doing was I was trying to control. I was trying to bring change into her life as if it was my job to really change her personality. And I, I was, I, you know, a few times it brought her to tears and I, it just still didn't register until I realized, until she called me out at that point and then I realized, wow, and I talked to someone about what was I doing and why was that not working and realized, you know, I'm trying to just play a role that's not mine. I'm trying to do something here that's not my assignment. Maybe for you, it's you see in your, maybe it's your spouse, there's all sorts of broken things in your house, and you see all the broken things or all the problems or everything that needs to get fixed, and you're thinking, does he not see everything that needs to get fixed? How is it that he passes by these things every day? That's all I ever see, and how is it that he doesn't fix these items? And so what do we do? Again, we subscribe them to, you know, hometown handyman or something like that. And, hey, I got a new subscription. Again, we're trying to... Or maybe it's... Maybe your wife or doesn't cook like your mama. And so she makes something and, and you say something like, you know what, honey, that's really good. It's different. It's different than my mom's lasagna, but it's really good. And again, you know, we, again, we start doing this. The list can go on and on as far as roommates and things they could do, things they're not doing right and how they're trying to... You know, just they'd be themselves, but we're trying to fix the way they are. Again, our ways, my thinking is, oh, I'm just going to step on my wife's foot, or I'm going to try to do it this way. That's, that's my ways. God ways. God's ways are so far higher. His thoughts are so far different than, than mine. That caused a lot of hurt. And honestly, what I see now is my wife is very, she's very much more like me. In many ways, I got my way, and I'm pretty disappointed with the fact that I changed her in some things because of that. I'm like, why can't you be more bubbly, honey? Why can't you, why you be so serious? Well, I realized, you know what? I had something to do with that, didn't I? So here's the, here's the tension. Well, why do we do that? Why, why do we think that's our job? That's really what I want to look at this morning. How do you really build good relationships? 
This is the blank at the top. Good relationships are built on the foundation of two things, a right identity and proper worship. The, the foundation of these two things allow us to establish healthy, good relationships. And these ideas may seem distant from our daily struggles with people, but these are huge foundational pieces. And so let's define these terms a little bit. First thing is identity. Your identity is it's, it's who you are. That's My identity is who I am. I don't mean your name, your birth date, your social security number, but really how do you define yourself? That's your identity. What talents you have, what, what, you know, what qualities, experiences, goals, beliefs, all the things that, and the dreams that you have that you would say, this is who I am, this is who, who you all really are, that's your identity, okay? Who you are. And then when I say worship, what I mean is who God is. Who God is. I don't simply mean the order of, of our service on Sunday morning. I'm not talking about when we're singing songs necessarily or just um, you know, acts of worship like um, giving. But you know, there's all these different things that we would call worship that really do fit in the category. But really I'm talking about who God is. So my identity, who I am, and then worship, who God is. Those are the foundations of good relationships. Things are built on that. Whatever we believe about these two foundations will shape the way we relate to people. The way that I view myself, it, it, it influences the way that I treat people. The way that I view God, again, it shapes the direction or the course of, of all my life. So let's look at what the Bible says about our identity. In Christ, there's some things that is true about us, okay? First thing is this. This is just a handful of identity statements that you see in the Bible. In Christ, I've been chosen by God. I'm accepted. Now, when I say in Christ, what I mean is if you are a Christ follower, meaning He is Lord of your life. You've invited Him to be both Savior and Lord, the director of your life. If that's true, then these things are true about you. You've been chosen by God. You've been accepted. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3-5. through 5. Paul, he's, he's communicating, he's writing this letter to a church, and he says this about the Christians in the church. He says, For He, speaking of God, chose us, the church, in Him, speaking of Christ. For God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. You know, he, before He spoke the words, it says before creation even, if you back up to verse 4, it's really saying that before He even you know, laid the framework for the, the world itself, before He spoke everything to existence, He chose us in Him. If you've responded to His call, then you... We're on His mind. In eternity past, He chose to call you to relationship with Him. And we work so hard to be accepted by people. We work so hard to get chosen for the team or to be picked for the job or to be spotted for our talent. And then we find out that we've been chosen and accepted by the eternal God, the Creator of all the universe. He chose you. He chose you. That tells you something about your value. Oftentimes we, we look for our value in all sorts of places. It's important to keep this in mind about your identity. God, He loves you. He chose you. You are valuable. We don't need to go looking for more value. He has said you are valuable. Another thing is this. In Christ, I'm able to approach God any time. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... My new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, 
having our bodies washed with pure water. He's, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, he's talking about how in the past there was this sacrificial system where once a year the Jewish priest would, he would come and he would offer up a sacrifice so that God's people could be forgiven. Once a year this would happen and the priest, the great, the high priest, he would enter the most holy place. He'd bring this spotless lamb as a sacrifice to you know, ask God to forgive his people of their sin. And this act would go on, if you, if you back up in the book of Hebrews a little bit, it tells you about how Christ was the perfect sacrifice who died once and for all. This routine, this ritual did not need to continue after this because Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice. And because of that, now the priest, he would go into this most holy place that was re- reserved for him to enter one time alone. They would tie a little string to his legs so that if he dropped dead in the presence of God, they could pull him out. But what he said is Jesus' body, when it was you know, offered up for us, it was like the curtain was, the curtain was torn. And so now there was no longer this dividing line, this barrier between us being able to approach God. We could just approach God freely in Christ because of his, his shed blood. We have been forgiven. He has sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilt that we had. We've been made clean. We've been washed pure. His body was offered up. This is huge. If you can understand the fact that you and I can approach God at any point, that changes things. To understand this about your identity, I can approach God at any point. I, need, I don't need to live a guilt-ridden life. Because oftentimes, we get so guilty over the things we've done, we back away from God. And rather than doing business with God about the mess we've made in our life, we go and we take it out on other people. Or we want to squeeze out of them forgiveness or things that God really wants to provide into our lives. We try to get it out of other people. Again, this messes up our relationships. When we confuse our identity that I need to go to God and I can go to God. Because we go to others and the problem when we, when we pour our hearts out to others and try to get freedom from our guilt from others is that it's, their help is limited. What they can offer is really limited in comparison to the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy that we can experience and the freedom we can be given through Christ. As we come to Him, as we understand what He has to say in His Word, and as we just keep receiving His forgiveness. Something else about our identity that we learn from Scripture is this. I've been set apart for a purpose. Another identity statement is found in 1 Peter chapter 2. I've been set apart. I've been separated. God is doing something. He's changing me for a certain reason, for a purpose. Peter says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's talking about the church at large, and he's saying, look, all of you are this, you're this different group of people now. You've been chosen, you're a royal priesthood, a holy. That word holy means set apart. You've been separated, you've been set apart as a nation. A people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This passage, what it does is it describes Christians as people who, who, who belong to God. We belong to God. He's separated us from the world. We belong to Him, and God is now preserving us. He's, he's cleansing us. He's, he's setting us apart. He's sanctifying. He's making us holy. But in that process, He's preserving us for more work. He's preserving us to serve Him to be used by Him. That's important to understand again. We've been set apart in this world, and we're to partner with Him in this mission of rescuing other people out of darkness. And This is part of our identity. This, is, this 
mission statement in a sense of how God has he's rescued us and he's, he's going to use us to declare his praises among, among people who are lost and dying. Again, that, that's something about who we are. We need to keep that in mind once again. And we're not to take that position from a place of arrogance, but from a position of humility. Because we understand we were a people that we, we had not received mercy, but then we received it. We weren't his people, now we are his people. Once again, this, this impacts the way we relate to each other. Here's another identity statement. I possess a future hope in Christ. You know, it's really talking about heaven, but look at what 1 John chapter 3 says. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That's an identity clue right there. When any time the scripture says this is who you are, that's your identity. You are a child of God, children of God. The reason the world does not know us, meaning the reason that they don't recognize that he's our dad. You know, sometimes you see kids running around, you're like, well, I know whose dad, I know whose son that is because I recognize him. He looks just like his father. There's this family resemblance going on. John says the reason the world doesn't know you is that it doesn't know him. So then he says, dear friends, we are the children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, when Christ reappears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We've been born again. We've experienced this new birth on the inside. God is, he's, he's moved into our lives. We are his children. And though the world, they don't see this physical change, like the world doesn't say there's a Christian, there's not a Christian, there's another Christian, there's not halos over our heads as you walk around the city. You know, the world does not recognize us as Christians necessarily from the outside. Our physical appearance doesn't change when you come to Christ. But certain physical changes are, are, are coming. That's in our future. Certain physical changes at his return or at our death, we'll see Christ return in his glorified body. And we will, we will we'll experience a change. We're going to receive a new glorified body. And then we'll enter into His presence for all eternity. And we'll see Him in, in all His fullness. We'll understand some things that we just don't fully understand right now. We possess this future hope, and it's coming. Again, this is part of our identity. A lot of times we try to get all sorts of things out of people in hopes that we're going to experience more out of life. And God's already said, there's certain things I want you to understand. They're already yours in Christ. Be careful how much you try to squeeze out of other people because so much of that will cause problems. Disappointments, this is in your outline, disappointments in relationships often come from attempting to get things from people that are, we already have in Christ. We assume that the people on this earth are put here to add something to our identity. We really think, man, this my spouse, they were put in my life to make my life really better, right? I mean, so that I could get something more. But, Look at this next blink. No earthly relationship was meant to be the source of personal joy and contentment for you. God's plan was not to save the world through your spouse or through your friend or to fulfill all your deepest longings through an earth, through a person on earth. We keep, get, we keep getting disappointed, don't we, in relationships? And the truth of the matter is it's because we're sinful and they're sinful. And so we're a pretty sinful bunch. 
we keep getting disappointed. Scripture says in Romans 3.23, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We confuse this. We think, no, that's probably true for most people, but not my friends. So we try, we try to make them less sinful and fix them. If you've ever thought, you know, all I ever want for my wife and for this relationship is to be happy, well, then you're going to be constantly disappointed if that's your goal. If that's why you got married was so that you could be happy, you're going to be disappointed. Unfortunately, you know, I'm a sinful person relating to another sinful person. No, no one can bring you happiness day after day after day. Your spouse, your friends, your kids, they can't be the sources of your identity. It can't be. And if you start trying to make them that, they're going to resent you over time. They will want to back away from you because they're going to feel squeezed and pressured. They're going to feel no freedom in that relationship. It does great damage when we confuse our identity. And anytime we start getting this you know, confusion of identity, what we do is we ride the roller coaster of other people's best moments and their worst moments. We get happy, we get disappointed, and everything in between. And God has already told us, this is who you are in Him. In Christ, you know, you're accepted. You've got a future hope. I'm going to use you. I have a purpose for you. Everything, I, it's all in Christ, what we need. So that's the first part. That's the first foundation. Is to keep your identity. Keep a clear understanding of who you are. Second thing is this. To love others as we should, we must worship God as creator. Now this, I think, is even more challenging and convicting, I think. We have to be, have a clear understanding of who God is. Well, God is creator. As I relate to people, He has created them, and I need to keep that in mind. This person I'm trying to fix and change, God made them. God made them. They've been shaped and they've been molded uniquely by Him. Look at what Psalm 139 says. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you created my inmost being. That's me at the core. That's you at the core. God created us in the inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This is what God says about how He made us. I praise You because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame... It's a person speaking to God in first person. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. God, He created us. If I don't see the wise work of the Creator when I look at people, then it will affect the way that I treat people, won't it? If I think, you know, but God, God wants us to remember that His hands formed people. He makes no mistakes. There are no accidents. His hands, they don't ever slip when He's forming, do they? He's perfect in all His ways. Your height, the size of your frame, your abilities, your personality, your intellect, your wiring, you know, all of these, the way you walk, everything else that makes you uniquely you was crafted by a gloriously wise Creator. Now that is so important to, to remember and to worship God for that. When we relate to each other, We need to keep in mind just who made us. It's easy to worship God here on Sunday and then on Monday to curse His creation. We curse His creation when we start tearing down the work He's done in a person. James talks about how our mouth, with it, we curse God and we praise Him. That shouldn't be. When we start tearing down and not worshiping what He has made in unique ways in people's lives, we start really doing damage 
It's just extremely insulting to God. That's why when I recognized what I was doing to my wife, when I was trying to squelch her personality, was insulting to, to my creator, her creator. It's incredibly insulting. And now I can just say, honey, I'm so sorry. What a jerk I was. I was acting like such an idiot. To try to change you, and I think that was my responsibility to do that. Whenever we fail to worship God as creator in our relationships, what we're doing is we're really doing this. We're trying to say, I'm going to ascend to his throne, and and I'm going to do all I can to recreate this person, not in God's image, but in my image, to get them to be like I want them to be. And again, that's an insult to God. Here's some specific ways. Do you secretly wish that your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your spouse, looked just slightly different? Or do you get frustrated about their intellect? Do you, do you get you know, irritated at the things they say or you know, just the timing of the things they say? Or do you wish that your, sp- your, your spouse could be you know, not so shy? You wish they'd just be the life of the party? Or maybe you're trying to get your husband to be the leader that you always dreamed he could be. You know, again, we're trying to change. Do you get bothered that your husband is, is going bald? You know, or, or your wife's hair is turning prematurely gray? Again, opportunities to worship God as creator. He is, he is creator. He's made us uniquely who we are. If we fail or, or, or if we're unwilling to worship God for who he is, it continues to just bring conflict to our relationships. We have to keep this straight. Another thing, we worship God as being sovereign. Being sovereign. Acts 17, verse 26. Paul is speaking to a group of Greek philosophers, and he talks about how God, he says this, from one man, that's Adam, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. What this means is that all of our lives and all of our stories and all of our circumstances look slightly different. Because God is the one who's writing our stories. God determined exactly where each of us would be born. He determined exactly which family I would be born into. He determined which you know, parents would raise us. He determined the culture that we would live in. And so when we look at different people, again, we need to see God's sovereign hand writing every single story. That God is in charge of this. Again, if I fail to honor God for His, His sovereignty, then again... I'll step into a role that's not mine to play. Start trying to twist and mold and control the circumstances of other people's lives. And I will tape, I'll attempt to take you know, God's place again, and I'll start trying to clone you into my image and not the image that he's trying to create. Again, that's dangerous ground. We start trying to say, God, I'll do your job for you. I tend to think my plan is best, or I tend to think my manners are best. Or my ways or my customs are most appropriate. Again, that damages our relationships. What we do is we, we think, I think there's a vacancy in the Holy Trinity. Holy Spirit, He took, took a little vacation. So we ascend to the throne and we become the Holy Spirit in our spouse's life, in our friend's life. And we start trying to fix and change and bring, bring things that really, again, it's not ours. Lastly, worship God as Savior. If we're going to love others rightly, we need to worship God as Savior. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. 
We haven't been saved because of our good works. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I need to acknowledge that I'm a sinner in all my relationships. I'm going to approach it, I'm going to approach it as a sinful person relating to other sinful people. The people in our lives, in all of our lives, are still in the middle of God's work of redemption, and so am I. They're being redeemed. They're being changed. And I am too. Thank God. He's still convicting me. He's still teaching me. He's still changing me. And He's going to continue that until this life is over. None of us ever get to relate to a finished product. We, we wish we would. Whenever we forget this, we, we become self-righteous, impatient, critical, judgmental. And whenever I fail to worship God as Savior, then I'm, I'm far too casual about my own sin, and I'm far too focused on your sin. And again, we get ourselves in extreme trouble. So, lastly, only when I remember who I am and worship God for who He is, that's a little, little tiny blank for a lot of words, who I am and worship God for who He is, can I rightly, or can I respond to my relationships rightly? These are the two great foundations for our relationships. Doesn't this help to keep these in mind? You can say, yeah, it does. I mean, doesn't it really help to keep these things clear? Rather than trying to just fix and mold and squeeze and change and, and ascend to the throne of the Trinity and, you know. Now, I need to say this before we wrap up, and we're practically done. So, Cody, you and the band can come join me up here. This does not mean that you do not have a voice in your relationships. And you might be thinking, so does this mean I can never say anything or that I should just keep quiet? What about when my spouse or my friend does destructive things? What about when they cross a boundary line that God says is sin? Should I do nothing? I'm not saying that because there's whole pages and in instructions of Scripture that deal with accountability. There's whole pages of, of you know, instructions related to correction. There's, there's all sorts of things that we need to speak up and say, hey, that's, that's hurting others. I want to warn you. You're heading towards a cliff. I want people to get in my way if I'm heading towards a cliff and prevent me from going over the edge. I want someone to get in my way if I'm about to run over my family by the way I treat them. I want someone to challenge that. But, again, keeping these two foundations in mind helps you balance out the amount of correction we offer in people's lives. It helps us keep in perspective what's my role and what's God's role. So, you know, yeah, speak up. When you need to speak up, say something. But just keep in mind these foundations, and this will help in the way that we interact. In just a moment, our ushers are going to be receiving our, our morning offering, and then we're going to worship God with another, um, with another song. Take out this uh, white card here. Take a look at these next steps on the back. Some specific things that maybe God has brought to your mind. First one, admit that I've been trying to play the role of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's the first step. Just consider, you know, I've crossed the line and I've stepped into His role. You can admit that to God. Spend some time talking to Him about this. Just saying, God, I'm guilty of this. I've crossed the line. I need to back up from that line and just repent of that. Second, clear up any damage I've caused. If you recognize you really crossed the line, maybe God has shown you you've been trying to squeeze out of people something that only can come from God, something that's already yours, your identity, or maybe you fail to worship God's work and you try to play the Holy Spirit. Um, I'd encourage you, clear it up. Take the, take the time to specifically clear it up. 
you're going to mess this up. I'm going to mess this up. It doesn't mean, well, I'll just, I'll clear it up on my deathbed. (laughs) I intend to just keep clearing up my relationships for the rest of my life. I just have a feeling this is just going to be the way it is. So I'd encourage you, just start now. Clear it up. Clear up what God brings to your mind. And don't think, well, next week I'm going to screw up again. Clear it up next week then. That's fine. I'll clear it up next week too, because I know I'm going to have problems in the way that I relate as well. So just keep clearing things up. The last thing, worship God for his involvement in the people around me. Even as we sing right now, what song are we going to sing? Sing to the Lord. We're going to sing a song. Sing to the Lord. As we sing, you know, worship him and say, God, this is, I just praise you for who you are. For how you've made me. For what you've already said is true about me. I praise you for what you're doing in them and what you will continue to do in them. Worship him for his work. Recognize his handiwork. Praise him for it. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these ideas from your word about our identity and all the statements in scripture that we find about who we, who we already are. Lord, thank you for choosing us, for accepting us, for allowing us to approach you. Lord, for preparing us for heaven. Lord, thank you. And Lord, thank you for what you're doing in other people's lives, the work you're doing, the way you've made them. Lord, your, your ways are perfect. And we're just not. Lord, our ways are not. And so we just declare your ways are perfect. You know what you're doing. We trust you, God, with our relationships. Pray that you continue to complete your work in the lives of everyone in our life. Help us to wait on you and to trust you, God. Help us to know the times when we do need to speak up, to warn or to challenge. But then, Lord, help us to know when we just are being too controlling and trying to take your role. Lord, and as we give back to you right now, I just pray that our offering to you would be far more than just resources, Lord, but that we would keep offering up to you our very lives. And that when we give, it would just be, you know, a small part of the whole thing. So, Lord, thank you for those who give faithfully. I pray you'd bless them. Keep providing for the needs of our church, Lord, as we give back to you. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.